0: We are going to step back into the pages of the book of Luke this morning, so if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Luke 8, 1 through 15. Of course, the he in these verses is Jesus. Soon afterwards... He began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. When a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Father, we want to be among those who receive the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Even now, help us to have hearts that are like good soil. Help me to have a tongue that is ready to disperse the seed and scatter it abroad, and God, help us to hear and receive it and produce fruit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we lived and ministered in Mississippi, our church building was located in a wide-open, treeless, barren sort of patch of countryside in the Mississippi Delta actually it sat in what had formerly been a cotton field that was now cut over and planted. Instead of cotton, they had planted mobile homes there. And all year round, the surroundings around the church looked drab and uninviting. We had no trees. We had no shrubs. We had no flowers to brighten up the look of the building. And so one year, I got the bright idea that I was going to plant some wildflowers in a dusty little scrap of ground right out in front of the church building. So I got a I didn't have any equipment, so I got a fork or something like that um, and scraped up the ground out there a little bit and scattered the seed all over the place and thought to myself, Beautiful. This is going to be absolutely beautiful. Just a little bit of rain and a little bit of sunshine, and everything's going to be perfect. Well, the weeks went by, and then the months went by, and eventually I had to move to Ohio in order to have nice flowers in front of the church building. What was the problem? The problem wasn't with the seed. The bag that I'd gotten was a new bag, fresh new seeds. The problem was with the soil. The problem was that it wasn't simply good enough for me to scrape across the surface of the ground with a fork and scatter the seed and throw a little water on top and expect the flowers to grow. The ground was far too hard for that. It was too inhospitable of weather as well. What I actually needed to do was to rent a rototiller and run it over that ground and break up the fallow ground and turn the soil over a time or two and break it up if anything was going to grow. So the problem, I say, wasn't the seed. The problem was the soil. And that's what Jesus is saying in this parable, isn't he? Jesus is reminding us in Luke 8 that if we hear the word of God and nothing happens, the problem is not with the seed, it's with the soil. It's not with the word, it's with the hearts on which it's sown. In the spiritual realm, Jesus says the seed, verse 11, is the Word of God. And the soil, verses 12 through 15, is the human heart on which it is sown. And our hearts, Jesus is going to remind us this morning, are often far too cluttered or shallow or hard to receive the Word of God and actually do anything with it, whether it's when we read it or when we hear someone speaking about it. And so the seed that is sown, therefore, has no more effect than those wildflower seeds that I sowed on the black hard dirt of Robinsonville, Mississippi that afternoon. The Word doesn't grow because it has no room to grow. And the reason it has no room to grow is because we often leave it no room to grow. All of us, I think, understand what that's like. We've all been there and done that. We all know what it is, for instance, to read or listen to God's Word and be totally unmoved and unhelped by it, and to walk away and forget what we've heard. We all know what it is to be bored in the midst of our Bible reading or of a sermon. We all know what it is to read a passage and say, I've read this a hundred times before, this is old hat, and to get nothing out of it. We all know what it is, I'm sure, to read the Bible in a hurry, because we have other things to do, and consequently to walk away from our Bible reading unaffected. Some of us, perhaps, have been experiencing these very things this week. What Jesus is going to say to us this morning is that we need perhaps to take a rototiller to our own hearts. We need to plunge a spade into the soil of our hearts and turn it over a few times. We need to break up the fallow ground. We need to make sure that we have the kind of hearts that when the Word of God is scattered upon them like seed are able actually to receive it and to bear fruit. Someone may ask along the way, okay, so what's the big deal if I don't do that. Well, what's the big deal if I zone out every now and again during Sunday school or church? What's the big deal if I really don't get as much out of my daily Bible reading as I should, or if I don't really do it very often? After all, we're saved by grace, and so surely this is just Jesus describing the difference between a really strong Christian who receives the Word of God and does something with it and a not so strong Christian, but a Christian nonetheless. We're saved by grace. And that's true. We are saved by grace, not as a result of works, not as a a result of reading our Bible a certain amount of times. So then we need to ask, what's really at stake this morning in this parable? What's at stake if any of us this morning should fail to hear the Word of God in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance? Is this parable just drawing a faint line in the sand between the really serious Christian who hears the Word of God and produces a crop, verse 8, 100 times as great, and the average Christian who hears the Word of God but just isn't as committed. Is that the line in the sand that's being drawn? The serious Christian and the average Christian? Or is there more at stake here? Well, just for a moment, before we come back to Luke 8, I want you to listen to another passage in which Jesus speaks of producing fruit and the significance of producing fruit. Let me read to you. Just a few verses from John chapter 15. I'll read verses 1 and 2 and then I'll read verse 6. Jesus speaking says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear bear more fruit. And then verse 6 he says, If anyone does not abide in me, i.e. if anyone does not abide in me and therefore produce fruit, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them in the fire and they are burned. So listen carefully to what Jesus said. Every branch, verse 2, that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And what does that mean? Well, verse 6 explains, if anyone doesn't abide in me, if anyone doesn't produce fruit, they're taken away. What does that mean? It means they're thrown away as a branch, they dry up, and then they're gathered and cast into the fire and burn Now that's a serious warning. It's a very serious warning. Whether the metaphor is a patch of soil in Luke 8 or a grapevine in John 15, Jesus is telling us, hearing the word of God and producing fruit is no small matter. It's no small thing to be given the privilege of hearing God's word and having it in your hand and having the good seed sown on your heart. And those who do not take advantage of that opportunity, Jesus says, face eternal consequences. They gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. So, yes, we're saved by grace, but grace does not simply change our eternal destiny. Grace also changes our hearts. Grace acts like a spade, if you will, breaking up the soil of our hearts so that we will indeed hear God's word and produce fruit. By it. Grace, if we've truly received it, makes us hungry for more and more grace, more and more of God's word. Grace, in a word, turns our hearts into fertile soil for the word of God. Not perfect soil, mind you, but fertile soil. So the person who's truly been saved by grace will not live his life without from time to time breaking up the fallow ground in his heart and making sure that he is able to receive God's word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast. And bear fruit with perseverance. And what that means this morning is that this passage is not simply comparing serious Christians with average ones. Luke 8 is comparing an orchard planted in good soil and overflowing with rich produce with other orchards across the fence line which are soon to be cut over and burned out because they're not bearing any fruit. Jesus is comparing real, heaven bound, fruit bearing Christians with unbelievers who, while they have every opportunity to hear and respond to God's Word, remain unaffected and unchanged and unfruitful and unsaved. And each of us needs to take the opportunity this morning to see which side of that fence line we actually live on. Are we a part of the good orchard that's producing fruit? Or are we a part of the orchard that's about to be cut over and burned? So then... If our eternal destinies are at stake in this parable of souls and soils, if it will matter forever whether or not your heart is like good soil or bad, then we'd better take a close look at what Jesus has to say in these verses, beginning with a look at the unfertile soil. What does barren ground look like, according to Jesus? How would I know if my heart was actually in need of some spade work this morning? Well, let's look at three characteristics that Jesus gives us of unfruitful soil, or three types of unfruitful soil, if you will, as Jesus describes them here in Luke 8. First, unfruitful soil is hard soil. It's hard soil. Verse 5 says, The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. And then correspondingly in verse 12, Jesus tells us, Those beside the road are those who have heard... Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. So he's saying there are some people who hear the word and they never receive it at all. The devil comes like a hungry pigeon and pecks up the kernels of corn before they ever penetrate above the very surface level of our lives. And the reason he's able to do that, presumably, is because many hearts are like a well-beaten path, Jesus says. And what's the characteristic of a well-beaten path? Well, it's hard. That's what Jesus is getting at here. I'm sure you've been out in the country where there are no sidewalks and seen where people walk along the side of the road and they create dirt paths that are almost as hard as rock. In fact, you don't have to go out to the country. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just drive to the boarded-up Kmart building on Ridge Road. There's no sidewalk in front of there and you'll see where people have beaten a path between KFC and McDonald's there. And there's no grass there. The ground is simply too hard. It's packed tight by months and years of foot traffic. So you could walk between KFC and McDonald's on Ridge Road on a rainy day and spill out a whole bag of sunflower seeds and it would make no such difference. Nothing would happen. The ground simply too hard for anything to penetrate it. And so, says Jesus, are many hearts. Many people... Never do anything with the Word of God because their hearts are simply too hard to receive it in the first place. For some people, perhaps it's because they have pet sins that they don't want to give up. They know their sins, but they don't want to let them go. And so when someone starts talking to them about the Word of God or about that particular area of their life, they just shut it down. They just throw up a wall. They can't listen because if they listen, God might actually do something about their sins. And so it's too risky and therefore they simply harden their hearts and never listen. And I wonder if there's anyone like that in the room today. Anyone here who hears what Jesus is saying week after week, it's not unclear to you, but you don't receive it because it's far too risky for you. You might actually have to give some things up if you begin to take the Word of God into your heart and treat it seriously. So you've hardened your heart. Anyone like that? Other people's hearts are hard, Because they think to themselves, well, you know, I'm actually doing quite well. My kids are making good grades and they're well behaved. Work is going okay. The marriage is fairly good right now. The house is fine. I'm not really in any big trouble with anybody. And so a person like that, though they may not clam up on you when you try to talk to them about Jesus, they just smile and nod. But the word never actually sinks in. I wonder if there are any smilers and nodders here this morning. Just in the last five minutes, I've tried to alert you to the possibility that you could and I could, in fact, end up being like burning branches in John 15, and yet you're not alarmed. And the reason some of you may not be alarmed is because life is too good right now to get all worked up about what may happen afterward. And so you've hardened your heart. And it's even possible that someone is here today who has a heart that's become hardened because you've heard the same good news over And over and over again, but you've never truly responded to it. Just like a path that's been walked over hundreds of times, a human heart can become callous to truth that it's heard a hundred times if it never actually responds to that truth. And so there are people who say, oh, yes, I know the gospel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jesus, he died for our sins. I believe that. But in reality, though they've heard that so many times, and though they know the truth, they've never actually cried out to Jesus themselves. And yet, because the message is so familiar, they don't even realize that they've never actually responded to it. And their hearts have become hard. And again, there may be some like that this morning. Unfruitful soil is hard soil. Secondly, Jesus says unfruitful soil is shallow soil. Shallow soil. Verse 6 other seed fell on rocky soil and as soon as it grew up it withered away because it had no moisture. And then correspondingly in verse 13, Those on the rocky soil are those who when they hear receive the word with joy and these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. There are some people Jesus reminds us whose hearts are like a thin layer of soil that's scraped across a bed of rock. It looks good from the outside. And when you sow seed on it, actually the seed springs up quite quickly. But then when the heat of the sun comes out, the problems begin because the soil has no depth. It's just a little thin layer of soil with rock underneath. And so the roots can't sink very deep. And because the roots can't sink very deep, they can't soak up a great deal of moisture or nutriment. And so the plant that looked so good in early May turns into a withered tumbleweed by mid-August. So it is, Jesus says, with many people. There are a number of people who initially at least find great fascination in studying the Bible and coming to church and hearing sermons. And they say to themselves, boy, when I start out the morning reading God's Word, it just seems like the whole day goes better. Ever since I started coming to church on Sunday, my whole outlook on the week has changed. Things just go smoother when I come to church. Ever since we started attending this church, our family life has been so much happier. And all those things may be true and good and right. But if these are the only reasons we're interested in God's Word, because it helps us have smoother days and better weeks and happier families, what happens when God decides to let our child get leukemia? What happens when God decides to test us with six months of unemployment? Then we have a dilemma on our hands. And the soil isn't actually very deep. I'm not saying overall that consistent Bible study won't make our lives happier and won't sometimes make our weeks smoother. Sometimes it will. But if that's the primary reason why we're doing it, our faith is shallow indeed. For Christianity is not a spiritual energy drink. Christianity is not A vitamin that we take once a week that helps us feel better. Christianity is about our eternal souls. And more than that, it's about the glory of God. And if we get into it for any other reason, if we feed on God's word simply because of the earthly comforts that it may bring our way, eventually we're going to be disappointed. For in this world you will have trouble, Jesus says in John 16. So I ask you, how deep is your soil? Do you study God's Word? Do you come to church simply because it makes your life in this world a little easier to bear? That's a shallow reason to do so. And when the heat of some spiritual August comes upon you, you'll be left with nothing but regret. Unfruitful soil is shallow soil, Jesus says. And thirdly, unfruitful soil is crowded soil. Verse 7, other, seeds, other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And then according to verse 14, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard and as they go on their way are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Some of you know because we've talked about it, I hate dandelions. I hate dandelions even worse than I hate people tracking through the snow in the yard and messing it all up in the wintertime. I hate dandelions. And the reason I hate them is not so much because of the look of them, but because of what they do to my grass. For if you leave them unchecked, these little yellow-headed killers will eventually crowd the grass right out of whole patches of your yard and leave you with big, ugly, barren areas. Why is that? I don't know all all the reasons behind it, but I figured out that dandelions have thick roots and they take up quite a bit of underground space and they leave less and less room and less and less nutrients for the grass. And also, I figured out that on top of the ground, dandelions have really broad leaves that spread out, not up, but horizontally. And when they spread out horizontally, they cover the surrounding area so that the grass underneath can't get any sun. And eventually, your zoysia or your Kentucky bluegrass or whatever you enjoy begins to be choked out. And so, Jesus says, it is with dandelions, so to speak, that clutter our own lives. This is why people can sit through sermons and not actually remember what they heard. Because they're thinking about the game that's about to kick off. Or the meeting that has to happen in the morning. Or the yard work that has to get done. Or what just happened beforehand. We're so easily distracted. And this is why many people who know they need to read their Bibles daily actually don't do so. And many others who do so don't get much out of it. The reason why we don't read or the reason why we don't pay attention when we read is because extreme makeovers on tonight. I got to have set aside time for that or because we have lessons or practice five nights a week or because the Internet is beckoning us or because we're taking on too much overtime or whatever it may be. And all of these things by themselves may be harmless. And we'll say to ourselves, I'll get back to my Bible reading tomorrow. I'll be at church next week. But you know what happens with dandelions, don't you? One dandelion becomes five or ten. Five or ten becomes twenty-five or fifty. Twenty-five or fifty become a hundred or two hundred. And before you know it, the yard is so full of them that you simply give up trying to root them out. And so it is with hobbies and overtime and lessons and sports and Internet and all of these things that pull our hearts in a thousand directions. These things aren't bad by themselves, but if you don't studiously keep them in check, Eventually, the combined effect will choke out the Word of God in your life. And when the Scriptures get choked out of your daily and weekly routine, eventually they will be choked out of your heart as well. And you'll wake up one day and wonder how you got so busy and how you fell so far from the Lord that you used to serve with all your heart. Is that you? Is that the track you're on? Far too busy for God's Word? Does God's Word have a place of significance and honor in your life? Or is it being slowly crowded out by so many dandelions? So you have three types of soil. All of them are equally barren. First, the person who doesn't really listen in the first place, or if he does, doesn't give the teachings of Scripture a second thought once the sermon is ended or the Bible is closed. Second, the person who listens to the Bible, but only for the shallow purpose of getting some nugget that will help them feel better. And thirdly, the person who has good intentions, who knows she needs to be in God's Word, but can't bring herself to get out the spade or the weed killer and clear out the clutter of her life and make room for earnest study and contemplation of this book. Okay, enough about the barren soil. Let's cross over the fence line where the grass is greener and find out why the grass is greener. What does a good soil look like? according to Jesus. Listen to what he says in verse 8. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And then in verse 15 he explains, the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. First he says they receive it in an honest and good heart. What does that mean? What does good soil look like? I think we can get some clues as to what Jesus means by an honest and good heart by looking back at the bad soil and realizing that good soil is actually the exact opposite of bad soil. So think with me again. Good soil is, number one, broken soil. Broken soil. Remember the first metaphor Jesus used? Some people don't receive the word because their hearts are hard, packed, dirt paths. So by contrast, good soil must be soil that's not hard, but broken up, turned over. And so it is with the human heart. The heart that doesn't want to give up sin is hard. The heart that doesn't even realize that they're in sin is hard. And such hearts don't listen because they don't think they need to. They say, this repentance isn't for me. I'm sure there are people who need it, but I'm a churchgoer. I've never killed anyone. In fact, I'm on the flower committee, and so I think I'm fine. But who's the person who will listen to To the word of God and drink it in like that parched soil around the bottom of your tomato plants. What is that person's soil like? What is that person's heart like? What's the person who finds himself constantly saying to himself, I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe I looked at that woman that way. I can't believe I spoke to my mom the way I spoke to her. Look at how often I find myself getting angry over the littlest things. I hope Luke 8 has a word in season for me this morning. I hope my daily Bible reading has some good news for me. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the person who receives God's word. The person who's needy. Just as a field has to be plowed up before it will receive cotton seed, so the human heart, if we're ever to receive the word of God and produce fruit, has to be plowed up with conviction of sin and a sense of our neediness before God. Good soil is broken soil. Good hearts are broken hearts. Is that you? Is your heart broken over your sin? And if not, are you really able to receive the Word of God as you should? Secondly, good soil is deep soil. Deep soil. Remember verse 6, unfruitful soil is shallow. It's only a thin layer of dirt sprinkled across a thick layer of rock. But good soil It's not shallow, it's deep. Good soil allows the roots to dig deep into the heart of the earth and suck up moisture and nutrients so that a strong wind won't come along and uproot the plant or a hot summer won't kill it. And that's the way things work spiritually too. Good soil is deep soil. If your reasons for coming to church and reading your Bible are shallow, if you go to God's Word simply to bring a little sanity to your weak, If you go to the Scriptures only because they help you get through the day, what happens when the day goes poorly? What happens when the week or the month or the year or the season of life goes poorly? If there is not some deeper reason for going to the Word of God, then the plant of your life will quickly wither when the good days don't come. But if you're reading your Bible because... You want to be ready for heaven. And if you're reading your Bible because you want to have answers that will help you bring other people to heaven with you. And if you're reading your Bible because you want to learn how to really live for God and not just have a nice day, then you will be much more likely to keep going when times get tough. Why? Because you weren't reading your Bible for shallow reasons in the first place. You weren't reading your Bible simply to avoid tough times, but for far more important and deeper reasons so good soil is deep soil thirdly good soil is cleared soil cleared soil if poor soil verse 7 and verse 14 is characterized by being crowded with weeds then good soil is characterized by being open spacious and cleared out such that plants have plenty of room to dig deep roots and spread broad leaves without being choked by weeds And of course, in the spiritual realm, the same is true. Our lives and our schedules have to be sufficiently cleared off like a piece of land to enable the Word to spread out and take root, to allow us to have time for unhurried reading of Scripture and then for meditating on it when we stop reading and discussing it with others and praying over it and actually doing the things that God's called us to do. We simply have to clear out the cluttered soil of our lives if we're ever going to grow. And for many of us, honestly, this is our biggest problem. Because we live in America and we're sinners living in America and therefore we are prone to believe the lies of the devil. And one of his lies in our culture is the lie of self-actualization. That is the lie that if you want to really be happy in life, if your life is really going to be meaningful, then you have to be busy And you have to be doing things while you're busy that make you all the time happy and fulfilled. Now we know that's not true, that busyness equals happiness and success. In fact, in our brief moments of sanity, many of us actually long for a simpler life and an easier schedule. But then that little voice in the back of our heads with a distinctly American accent begins to speak to us again and says, what happens to you if you don't pursue that career move? Or that it says to you, can you really make ends meet without all the extra overtime? Or that it says to you, wouldn't your kids feel deprived if they didn't have all the extracurriculars? Or that says to you, you can't really get all your household chores and recreational sidebars done in six days, can you? Or sometimes it says to you, wouldn't you be bored to tears if you didn't turn the TV on at night? Maybe. But maybe you'd be refreshed. Maybe if you and I cleared out some of the excess junk in our lives, we'd read that Christian book that we've been meaning to get to for the last six months. Maybe Bible reading would no longer seem like a have-to jammed into five minutes at the end of an already too busy day. Do you see? Some of us, if we ever want to produce real fruit and make real progress in spiritual things, are going to have to get out some Roundup and begin spraying it on the overtime and on the ball game, and on the dance lessons, and on the internet, and on the DVD player, and a dozen other things that you could add to the list. If you're not willing to do that, you may tread water for a little while now, but eventually your spiritual life is either going to fall apart, or it's going to shrivel up and become a mere formality. You'll become a Luke 8.14 churchgoer. You'll come and you'll hear the word, but as you go on your way, you'll be choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and you'll bring no fruit to maturity. And I say that you'll be a Luke 8:14 churchgoer, not Christian, intentionally. Because remember what Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. People fall away from what looks like Christianity because they never make room to read and meditate and pray over the Word of God. And that brings me to the final and primary quality of good soil. Namely, good soil is fruitful soil. Fruitful soil. Other seed, verse 8, fell into good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. Now what does that mean? What would it look like if our hearts like good soil began to be broken? If our affections like good soil began to run deep? If our schedules like good soil were open to the seed of word, what would the fruit look like? And I noticed three things in the passage. I'll give them to you briefly. Surely, first of all, the fruit that would happen in our lives would look like obedience. After all, Jesus says that those whose hearts are good soil, verse 15, hear the Word and hold it fast. They hear the Word of God and they hold it fast. That means they hear the Word of God and they actually do what it says. Not perfectly, but better today than back in January. And better in 2010 than in 2009. Fruit, first of all, looks like obedience. So I have to ask you, are you growing in obedience? Are you not only hearing the Word of God, but doing it? This, Jesus is going to tell us down in verse 21, is the sign that we're truly a part of His family, that we hear the Word of God and do it. Good fruit looks like obedience. Second, we can certainly say that good fruit looks like influence. Influence. For doesn't Jesus tell us in verse 8 that the seed that's sown in good soil produces a crop a hundred times as great? I think he may be hinting to us that fruit produces more fruit. And maybe he's hinting that true Christians produce other true Christians. That true Christians bring people to heaven with them. Isn't that one of the great things about fruit? One seed produces an apple, which has several more seeds in it. And those several more seeds, each of them when sown, has the potential not simply to produce another apple, but to produce an entire tree full of apples. And so it is with the Christian. If we allow God's Word to have its rightful place in our hearts, we will bear fruit. And one of the great things about fruit is that it drops seeds all around which produce more trees, which produce more fruit in other places, even a hundredfold. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that we ourselves are going to be the one who's there with our eyes bowed and our heads closed, leading someone directly to Jesus and helping them close the deal at the very point of faith. It doesn't mean that we're going to be the ones to to reap the harvest of all hundred pieces of fruit. But if we are truly feeding on God's word, we are going to influence dozens and dozens of people, hundreds of them across our lifetime. And with some of them, we'll simply be planting an initial seed and others will be watering a seed that someone else planted. And from time to time, we may get the great privilege of being able to harvest one or two pieces of of the crop ourselves. But in each case, whether we're planting or watering or reaping, we are part of this fruit-growing process. We're bringing people with us to heaven. Many of them we won't even know about until we get there. So Jesus says good fruit looks like obedience and it looks like influence. And thirdly, good fruit looks like perseverance. 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 The seed that fell on good soil, verse 15, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. These are the ones, Jesus says, who don't fall away in times of testing. These are the ones who don't get so busy that they wake up one day and can't remember why or when they stopped praying or stopped reading their Bible or stopped coming to church. All true believers persevere until the end. It's not simply that once we're saved, we're always saved, though that is marvelously true. It's not the whole truth. The whole truth is once we're saved, we're always saved. And once we're saved, we'll keep on living as though we're saved. We'll bear fruit with perseverance. We'll bear fruit continually. That doesn't mean we'll live perfectly. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to be immune to occasional downturns in the line graph of our journey. However, it does mean that the general trajectory of our spiritual life is going to be upward all the way until we cross the river and awaken eternity. True believers keep going and keep growing until the end. So according to Jesus, fruitfulness in the Christian life looks like obedience. It looks like influence. It looks like perseverance. So I ask you again, how does your life look today? Are you really obedient Are you carrying people to heaven with you? Sowing seed, watering seed, maybe getting to reap the crop. Are you really pressing on in the Christian life instead of falling back? Are you, to put it simply, fruitful? If so, well done. And keep at it. If not, beware. For every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, a final question. How do I till up the soil of my heart? I want to produce fruit. I want the seed to have room in my heart. What can I do to make sure that my heart is not hard or shallow or overcrowded? What can I do to get an honest and good heart? The kind of heart Jesus speaks about in verse 15. Well, first, it must be said that none of us have a heart by nature that is honest and good and ready to receive the seed of God's Word. By nature, says Jeremiah 17:9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. By nature, our hearts are hard and shallow and cluttered with love for things of this world. By nature, we're not seekers of God. There is, despite what some researchers hypothesize, there's no God gene. There is no one of us that's naturally predisposed to seek God and to have a soft heart toward Him. That's actually good news if you find that your heart this morning is hard and shallow and cluttered. You are predisposed to turn away from God. It's true. That's not the good news, obviously. But the good news is that the person next to you who loves the Lord with all of her heart was once also predisposed to turn away from God. And her heart, apart from God's intervention, would still be desperately sick like yours is. And so the good news is that if God can till up the soil in her barren heart or his barren heart and make it good soil, then surely he can do the same in you. And that brings me to say that if any of us is to get an honest and good heart, a heart that's open to God's word, it does indeed require God's intervention. You cannot do it on your own if you could you would have already done so that's the point of verses 9 and 10 the disciples along with the rest of the crowd were a bit confused after verse 8 they must have been saying to themselves what is Jesus on about with all this talk about various kinds of soil you know he hadn't explained it yet he just said there's this kind of soil and that kind of soil and the other kind of soil and then there's good soil and they said what is he talking about I thought this was a sermon not an agriculture colloquium what's the deal here And so they pull him aside in verse 9. And then in verse 10, they begin to ask him questions. What are you talking about? What is all this stuff about the soils? And then in verse 10, only to a handful of his disciples, Jesus explained the parable in plain language. He explained it to them. And before he did so, he reminded them in verse 10, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Everyone else, he says, only gets the parable. And they leave scratching their head, many of them. But you get both the parable and the explanation. So do you see? It wasn't that the disciples' hearts were naturally more good and honest than the people in the crowds. It wasn't that the the disciples listened to verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 and immediately got it. Aha, I understand what he's talking about. That's not it. Their understanding of the Word of God, Jesus says in verse 10, was granted to them. And then we see him in verses 11 and following, doing the granting. Jesus had to intervene for the disciples in order to help them understand, in order for them to be able to receive God's good seed. And so it is with you and me. We aren't naturally predisposed to hear and respond to God's word. And so we need God to intervene on our behalf and give us ears to hear. So if we ask the question, what can I do? to get an honest and good heart, what can I do to plow up the soil in my heart so that I'm more apt to receive the good seed of the Word? The answer is, you can't do it on your own. God has to intervene. God has to till the soil. God has to grant that you would understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. So is that it? Is that the end of the sermon? Do we all just go home now and twiddle our thumbs and wait to catch lightning in a bottle, wait for God to do something? Well, not exactly. For while it is true that God must be the one to plow the soil and to make our hearts honest and good hearts, I want you also to notice that it's surely no coincidence in this passage that the people to whom Jesus granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom, the people whose hearts He opened in verse 10, were the very same people who had been following Him around from place to place in verse 1. The disciples... So yes, it was Jesus ultimately who granted them the ability to understand the parable. But he granted it to the people who had been consistently putting themselves in positions to hear the truth. He granted it to the men and women who followed him as he went around, verse 1, from one city and village to another. There was a whole crowd of people in verse 4 who were curious enough to come out and hear a sermon by Jesus But then there were a handful of men and women in verses 1 through 3 who were serious enough to follow Jesus around from town to town and hear all the sermons. And to which group does he choose to reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of God? Whose hearts does he open? He opens the hearts of the ones who pursued every opportunity to hear the word of God. And there's a lesson in that, isn't there? You can't obtain by your own power an honest and good heart, a well-plowed, fertile field in your breast. You can't do that yourself. But you can put yourself in a position to hear the Word of God as often as possible and see what happens. For the Word of God is not simply the seed that's implanted in the soil, but the Word of God also, Jeremiah 23 says, is like a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces. Rocks like the ones in verse 13 that keep us from growing. And the Bible says that the Word of God is like a two edged sword, Hebrews 4. A sword that could be used to break up the hard ground, in verse 12, and to hack away the weeds, in verse 14. So though you cannot till up the soil of your heart on your own, you can put yourself in places where using the hammer and using the sword of the Word of God, God may break up the fallow ground for you. So if you want a freshly plowed and fertile field in your breast, you need to get yourself as often as possible in front of God's Word, whether it's being read by you or proclaimed to you. And there's one other thing you can do if you want an honest and good heart. There's one other step you can take this morning if you want your heart to be a well-plowed and fertile field. Simple. Ask. Ask. Isn't that what the disciples did in verse 9? The disciples began questioning Him as to what this parable meant. They were confused after verses 5 through 8. They didn't get it. The seed hadn't sunk in. And so they didn't just twiddle their thumbs and they didn't just go off by themselves and have a a, a talk and try to figure it out on their own. No, what did they do? They asked. The disciples began asking Jesus in verse 9 to help them get it, to open the eyes of their heart, to help them receive the word implanted so that they might produce fruit. And you can ask too. God, help me understand your word. I try to read it in the mornings but I don't always get very much out of it. I don't understand this book or I'm not getting much out of this section. Help me, please. God, I come to hear the sermons, but they seem long to me and oftentimes I get lost in the middle of them. Help me concentrate. Help me get it. Give me understanding. Give me interest. Give me desire for Your Word. Give me an honest and a good heart that hungers for Your Word like fertile soil hungers for seeds that it can cause to grow. Will God answer such a prayer for you? Well, He answered the disciples, didn't He? And God is no less generous today than He ever was. Indeed, He who did not spare His own Son, as we are often reminding ourselves, He who did not spare His own Son but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Romans 8.32 If God would give up His own Son for you, then surely, if you plead with Him earnestly and seriously to give you a heart to understand and receive the teachings of this book, which are all about His Son, surely He would give that to you as well. If he'd give you his son, surely he would answer your prayer to learn more about his son. The disciples beseeched Jesus to help them get it. And so must you.